But I'm saying some people, they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, do whatever you can, but you better do something. You better say something because the people in the pews are hungry for truth. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Victor Marks show. Special guest, great friend, colleague, fellow warrior. I'm talking about Eric Metaxas, y'all. I mean, many of you know who he is just by the mere fact he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's got a new book we're going to talk about today that I'll tell you what, when we talked about this, Eric, uh, a few months ago, you're falling into that profit status because it's like you knew what was coming, and it's upon us. So welcome to the show, brother. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Uh, I really, I love you, I respect you, and I, I, feel, uh, I feel encouraged just because you're out there, uh, my friend, uh, just because you're doing what you're doing. So anytime uh, I can talk to you, I get, uh, I get lifted up. So thanks for having me. You betcha. Now, you still have that edge weapon that I gave you? <laughs> <laughs> what weapon? I don't know yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. I the, don't know what you're talking about. The pointy end is what goes owie. Um, hey, you know what, folks? I'll tell you all. Uh, the first time Eric and I met, which was funny, it was at the NRB. You were doing your live or you, uh, your show. I just flown in from Iraq, and, uh, I, you know, I'm transparent. So I'll say I wasn't doing great. You get wound a little tight when you're coming out of combative situations, and we were – we were heavy, rescuing, recovering uh, women and children from ISIS. But I remember I'm in an RB, kind of felt like a fish out of water. And I, I, I kind of, I was trying to kill some time. My staff had not come to meet me yet. And I heard you speaking. You were interviewing some fellow about ISIS. And I'm, I remember sitting there going, what is this dude saying? Not you, your guest. And, I, it, and I, all I could think about was, this dude's going to create more uh, radicals by his messaging, and he's what I would call a, a thinned out of dude. Probably never been to Iraq, never seen the stuff, but he was pontificating. You did a great job of trying to measure him in, but I remember during the break, I walked up and I put an ISIS headband down in a fourth grade workbook we'd taken out of an ISIS hide that they were training kids in. And I said, I'm not ISIS, but I just came from Iraq and that dude doesn't know what he's talking about. So, yeah, your your producer came and got me a little bit later and said, hey, can you come on the program? Eric wants to interview you for just a few minutes. He's going to fit you in. And I was like, yeah, sure. It ended up being like a 15-minute segment. And we, I, I tell you, I enjoyed the fellowship so much. That's when we connected. I was like, all right, this guy's just not about the mic or the camera or the book he's the real deal so folks that was uh that's how we started our friendship a number of years ago and i thank god for you and I, so many do because you're courageous you're willing to tell the truth and in this new book which is a bestseller uh you, you really laid it out 
that hey, I've never written anything like this, Victor. I've never, never, never written anything like this. And I never listen. Um, you know, you say prophet, right? Anytime anybody says what God is saying, that's prophetic, right? Yeah. And if if your ear is to the ground, so to speak, you know, you see things and you speak from the heart. And I've been looking at what's going on in this country and around the world, and I have been almost sick to my stomach mm. at the response of the American church. It's disgusting. It's despicable. It's more despicable because we don't have the excuse the German church had. In the 1930s, the German church did not have the excuse uh, that we do. What's our biggest excuse? We have the example of the German church. We could say, look what happened when the church was silent in the face of evil. Now, when we're talking about evil, right now we're talking about a lot of different kinds of evil. But evil is evil. It all has the same root in hell. And the German church was silent, and we see what happened. We don't have that excuse of, I mean, because we have their example, we have no excuse. We saw what happened when the church was silent. And that's when I said, I, I think I have to write a book that talks about this. I was going to self-publish it. It's called Letter to the American Church. I got a copy behind me someplace here, right? It's called Letter to the American Church. I was going to call it Faith Without Works is Dead because mm. I said many churches today, they have really lost the heart, the the guts, that when, when we talk about what it is to have faith— James said, faith without works is dead. If it's just cerebral, it's just theological, it is useless, it is dead. And so I got so stirred up, and I I really knew, and I don't say this kind of stuff lightly, I knew God wanted me to write this. And it's the shortest book I've ever written. I've never written anything like it, but I just said, I'm going to self-publish it, whatever. And I went to NRB, you mentioned NRB, and my publisher, Salem, said, well, we want to meet with you, got some ideas for, for books. And I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't have anything that I want to publish with you or with anybody. I just want to write this little book by myself. But I didn't say a word. And in the meeting, this is back in, I guess it was March of this year, they said, we got some ideas. And and they basically described this book. They said, we think you should write that. And I said, well, turns out I am writing that and I haven't told anybody. And so I guess maybe you will publish that book because I'm going to write that book. But it's it's just, listen, I mean, you could hear the passion in my voice. When I write the book, when I wrote the book, I said, I want to speak to people who are on the fence. Mm. This is to people who can still be reached. Good mm. people who yeah. might be getting it wrong right now. We're not just talking about, you know, kind of beating our chest. This is about trying to reason from the scripture, from common sense, from history, with people who think, I'm not supposed to be political in the church. I'm just supposed to stay in my lane, just preach the gospel. That's not biblical, folks, and that is exactly what the German pastors said in the 30s that allowed the Nazis to rise and cause limitless pain and evil uh, to human beings, to children, to women, uh, to innocents, because of the silence of the church. And I said, I have to write a book, Letter to the American Church. I've got to put this in the hands of Christians because you and I know there are tons of people— some of them are really bad people, but most of them are good people who are getting this wrong. They're, they're, they're you know, drinking the Kool-Aid or they're just a little fearful and they're hearing some stuff and they think, okay, I can, I, I can, I can avoid that stuff. And I'm here to tell you that's not God's will. And if the, if the American church is silent now, 
as it has been in the last number of years, it will go the way of the German church, and this nation will go the way of the German nation. So it's a really tremendously serious book, but I wrote it believing that if the Lord called me to write this book and to say what I say in this book, that there is a way forward, that there are people who are not there yet who will read this and they will say, you know what, yeah, I missed this. I need to get this right. I'm getting some stories. I just got an email from somebody who shared it with his pastor, and his pastor completely turned around. I thought, I just need a story like that to confirm to me that there are good people out there that they haven't got, they just, they haven't heard this. They're, 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 they're taking in a lot of these false messages that the church is supposed to not be political or not, you know, and I think, no, that's, that's not biblical folks. That's simply not biblical. Uh, You know, I find three categories, the, the complacent pastor, the compliant, and then the coward. And, and I, I think, the, the two that are sandwiching the compliant uh, can be helped because cowards just need to be encouraged uh, and, and the complacent just need to be taught. Uh, but the person, the pastor that sticks into compliance, doesn't want to change, he's a danger. And well, I, right. yeah, yeah, I, I, I know you for it everywhere, too. I mean, in Bonhoeffer's yeah. day. It was liberals and conservatives getting the same thing wrong with different reasons. You know, the devil doesn't care how he gets you. Right. Uh, and, and people like Adolf Hitler and the Nazis uh, and people in government uh, who are evil, who want to crush the church, they don't care uh, if they can get the black church to go with them or the white evangelical. or right. they, they don't care. They will say whatever they need to say to whatever group so that they can take power, so they can silence the voice of the church. And we're, we're seeing it in America in, you know, among white evangelicals mostly. But we just saw a few days ago, a week or two ago, T.D. Jakes, incredibly prominent pastor on TBN. Right. Right. We saw him in a photo opportunity with Beto O'Rourke, one of the most pro-abortion men in the United States of America. And that's just for starters. We saw... Uh, 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 Creflo Dollar, Dollar. also yep. on TBN. Yep. He he was promoting Stacey Abrams, incredibly pro-abortion, as corrupt as the day is long. So you're seeing this from you know white evangelicals like yep. Andy Stanley. You're, you're seeing it everywhere. But the reason I wrote the book is to say I know there's some of these folks that if they hear this message, God will speak to them and they'll turn. Some won't. Some right. don't want to. Some hate even that that I would bring this kind of stuff up. But I brought it up kind of in a spirit of trying to reach those people who can be reached. Because in Germany, by the way, there were some, there were many good guys that got this wrong. And when they woke up, it was too late. Yep. The damage was done. There was no going back. So my prayer is to reach those pastors and Christian leaders before it's too late, we're right on the edge. We are yeah. on the edge of it being too late. So yeah. that's that's why I wrote it. Well, I, you know, a while back I was doing a men's conference in Germany, and I was shocked to hear some of the leaders tell me that there's still shame. They still oh, do it shame. Totally. And, and the men specifically. And then pastors, there was an incredibly high number and rate of suicides among pastors no doubt no doubt listen it it is it's the one of the most shameful moments in history because germany 
was one of the most civilized, cultured, uh, Christian nations in the world. So when they were when the church in Germany was silent in the 30s, if people are familiar with my book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they know the story. It is so dramatic because the evil that was allowed to rise up as a result of the silence of the German church, it's almost unbelievable. A lot of Americans kind of think like, oh, that's like something from some other time. That could never happen again. And what I'm trying to say, and the reason I wrote a letter to the American church is I'm trying to say what happened then is happening now. Exactly the same thing, if not actually worse than what happened in Germany. They are eight decades later still hanging their head in shame. And I'm, I'm here to say that I don't believe that's the Lord's will for this country, but I do know that that is exactly the path we're going down now unless we repent. That's an old-fashioned word, but I mean it because that's what the scripture says. I quote from Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer gave a sermon in 1932 trying to warn the German church on this very thing. And they basically blew him off. They said, oh, you know, he's a hothead. He's an intellectual and he's a, he, he, doesn't, uh, he hasn't been around long enough to understand the way things work. Well, it turns out God was speaking through him. They ignored the voice of God speaking through this young man. And the results are about as horrifying as anything we've ever seen in history. And so I'm saying the silence of the American church today on every issue, you could, you could go down the list. You know what they are. The silence of the American church, God is judging us now and will continue to judge us unless we repent. So I believe there's hope, but man, we, uh, uh, we got to get it. Strong words, Rabbi. God <laughs> is judging us. And I believe in that judgment, he allows us to reap the natural consequences of what people want so bad. Uh, we see the divide. It's very clear. And the gulf is getting wider and wider. I, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have, I think, close to a million followers. Uh, last year, on uh, using all our social media, we reached about a billion people. And this blows my mind. But one thing I've told folks this year, if your pastor did not celebrate the overturn of Roe v. Wade, find a new church. There's, there's, it's inexcusable yeah. that a pastor wouldn't celebrate and well, that's, it's like the end of slavery. Imagine somebody right. saying, like, slavery, we've abolished slavery. In the, in the, William Wilberforce, one of my heroes, I wrote yeah. a biography of him called Amazing Grace, and I write about him in the new book, Letter to the American Church. This is the man who, because of his faith, led, uh, led England to abolish the abomination, the satanic thing of the slave trade, okay? When that happened in 1807, imagine if people said, well, we don't want to gloat we don't want to celebrate because there are people on both sides of that issue. And you say, ladies and gentlemen, God is on one side of that issue. People that he created in his image were suffering hell. And we have legally overturned that. We need to celebrate that. We need to to celebrate that we got it right. When everybody gets everything wrong most of the time, when you get something right like that, you need to celebrate Imagine if they w would have said, well, we don't want to celebrate that. Or when, when the Emancipation Proclamation came out, churches said, well, you know, there, we know a lot of godly people that are on different sides of this issue. That's when Christian leaders are meant to lead and say, well, you might be on another side of that issue, but that's the wrong side. And by the grace of God, I am, I'm hoping that you will see that you need to repent. But we saw that 
just recently when Roe v. Wade was overturned, we saw the silence by so many. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up because that's 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 the lack of the warrior spirit in a sense that we kind of act like, well, you know, we don't want to we don't want to offend anybody. This was an this was a victory. Can you imagine? You know this better than I do. How many people have prayed for literally five decades? Oh yeah. How many people have been out in the cold, doing, uh, you know, at every every march? All the unseen life? work. All the unseen work. Unbelievable we... efforts, and by the grace of God, it was overturned. Thank you, you know, Jesus. Doctor Dobson, Doctor James Dobson. He was a a, a a boss of mine, then a a mentor and a friend, and I was able to celebrate with him his forty fifth year in ministry. And I thank God he was able to see this overturn because he's one of the ones that has fought and fought with many others to see this. And and I would the, the question you hit on it, this warrior heart. Why are pastors not preaching or putting their faith in action? That uh, we look at California Prop One, uh, you know, friends, mutual friends of ours. Jack Hibbs, Rob McCoy, so many of us are stunned that the church didn't step up to protect children uh, from being murdered full term. And uh, is it just they want people in their church? They're yeah, some of it is. Yeah. It's, listen, this is the this is the the, the way human being we're very human beings are very complicated. So it's never just one thing. It's always complicated, right? But the point is, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord knows what's ba- you know back of of this kind of thinking, this lack of action, this lack of speaking. The Lord knows, and that should be chilling to us who know God is a just God. And in Germany, Bonhoeffer spoke. I, this is all obviously in the book Letter to the American Church. But I quote Bonhoeffer because he saw the th- the quote unquote theological objections. He heard mm. the theological objections that men of faith, Christian leaders, were giving for not opposing the Nazis. Wow. And he knew that they were wrong. He knew right. that the theological objections were garbage. And he wrote about it in his book Cost of Discipleship. And I write about it and I quote him in my book. But he said. Let's face it, most of this is just fear. In other words, you can give a theological reason. You can say, oh, you know, Romans 13, we're not supposed to, right. we're supposed to obey the governing authorities. You be kind of sloppy and kind of throw out these scriptures and stuff. And right. behind it is fear, fear of man, fear of losing your congregation, fear of being divisive. Whatever it is, it's a lack of saying what God is saying and trusting the Lord with the results. So it's a lack of faith to some extent. And, you know, I have to say, um, you talk about Jim Dobson. There have been heroes who have understood that you can never separate faith from politics. That whole idea is garbage. It's not a biblical idea. Now, of course, we know you don't make an idol of politics, but guess what? You don't make an idol of anything. You don't make an idol of your wife or your kids. You don't make an idol of any good thing. You worship God. But this idea that we're supposed to avoid politics is not even biblical. It's not even a category in the scripture, that idea. And the American church has kind of turned it into a doctrine. And you realize it's not a doctrine. The worst thing that that I saw on this subject, right when I send this book, Letter to the American Church, to my publisher, I send the manuscript, I got a book in the mail. It was published by Zondervan, Christian publisher, a book by Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in Atlanta, pretty well known, right? And the book was titled Not In It to Win It. 
and it said exactly the opposite of what I say in this book. And I said, well, I know he's wrong. It's pretty depressing, but I think I'm going to force myself to read it. And I was actually, it was on the way to see you. Oh, no kidding. Uh, to Ugh. come to Colorado Springs. It was on yep. that trip. And so I read the book and I thought, okay, he's using scripture. He's using, in other words, in the book, if you don't really have discernment, you're going to yeah. say, well, this sounds biblical. This right. sounds biblical. It's not biblical. He's twisting the meaning of the scripture. The history is abominable. I mean, he's he's comparing us to like first century, you know, Roman Empire. We we in this country, we're not under that kind of authority. We the people govern ourselves. So it's a completely different thing. But I read it, and it was just a, it was a monstrosity. And now I don't know Andy Stanley, but I know that that book is wrong. I know that it's going to mislead innumerable people into right. silence in the face of evil. But the worst thing was when I went on Amazon to look at the book, I saw a big, happy endorsement from my friend, Jim Daly, of Focus on the Family. Oh, no. And that's when I said, if you want to know how bad things are in the American church, just read that. All you need to know is that this isn't some fringe maniacs. This is mainstream people, people that we think of as friends, as good guys. Yeah this wrong and the reason I wrote the book is to try to reason with folks like that because some of them will get it some of them won't but some of them will so I'm not afraid to name names because there's no vitriol right. there's no hatred right, in right, right. for him or for Tim Keller or for people who you know they they you know they they had a point at one at one time right but things have shifted and you know it's it's kind of like uh, are you dealing with your neighbor or are you dealing with uh, an ISIS person who wants to kill you? You know, you have to have discernment yeah. of, of the situation. And we know that the left in America, this is not the left of Tip O'Neill or oh, no Jimmy way. Carter. No this way. is the left that has gone Marxist. It has gone uh, to the dark side on every issue. It doesn't say abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. It is celebrating late-term abortion. So we need wisdom. And I wrote a letter to the American church hoping that some people will, you know, get this to their pastors and say, take another take another look at this because literally the nation is at stake. If, if we if we if the church fails, Victor, this is the key: is that Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. Mm. The Lord is looking to His people to speak up in the face of evil, to stand against it with everything we have. If we don't do that. The Lord blames us. He doesn't blame the pagans that, that have no clue what's going on. He blames his church that claims to believe the Bible, that claims to worship him. So uh, it, it's heavy, but it's also ultimately hopeful because I know that there are people that are they're getting it. They're saying, you know what, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't get that. I've only heard that side of the story. Right. I, I think it's important for people to understand. You mentioned sloppy scripture. Most of the time, pastors, they'll use this scripture to... Uh, and there's no doubt anyone can take scripture to conform it to whatever they want without right. it being good exegete. But I, I tell folks, I'm not a nice person. I'm kind, but I'm not nice. And I think that is a, it's a misnomer in Christianity that, well, you're not being nice. You shouldn't stand up. You shouldn't call out a pastor named names. Folks, we have to, for the sake of the future. And, uh, we just had a situation where an article was written against Charlie Kirk, Rob McCoy, Turning Point, 
And the fella, the pastor, uh, Chris Campbell, out of Arizona, Phoenix, he, you know, he, he named me in it. He misquoted me in a story. Uh, he didn't tell the interviewer all the truth. So uh, I ended up getting his private cell number, texted him and said, hey, Chris, uh, I'd like to go to your church this Sunday. I'm in town. What's your address? And a, he responded back, hey, who is this? I said, it's Victor Marks. You wrote about me in an article. Thanks. I thought it'd be great to meet you face to face. He went silent. Crickets. Never responded to any more of my texts. And that is how many of these guys and pastors do. They live in a bubble. Uh, they shoot out little darts, but they won't engage because, in my opinion, they lack the character and integrity to, to, to in, engage in dialogue and civil discourse while they're just throwing out stuff. Folks, the book that we're talking about and I'm urging you to get will equip you where it doesn't matter if a pastor's twisting scripture. You'll be equipped and educated to properly refute his position and challenge him. And if there's not a change, then I do encourage you, find a church that you're like-minded with. Otherwise, it's just crazy-making, isn't it? That's Listen, that's exactly what I'm saying to people. Uh, I'm saying, listen, life is short. We're in an urgent hour right now. Uh, we, we don't have decades. Uh, we, we have like months, basically, uh, to understand this situation and to deal with it. And, you know, and you, you understand this is kind of like you're in a war. You, you need to assess the situation. The situation right now is very similar to the situation in Germany in the early and mid-30s. If the church had spoken up, and this is a fact, they would have made it impossible for the Nazis to do what they did. And I mean on any level. I'm not just talking about the death camps. I'm just talking right. about I'm talking about everything the Nazis did. There was still enough legality. There was still enough Christian uh, uh, political power in the country that if the Christian pastors had stood up together, it would have been a different day. One of the key pastors in Germany was Martin Niemöller. I write about him in my Bonhoeffer book. He was a hero, World War I hero, solid pastor. He got this wrong and thought that the Nazis could be reasoned with. And you can understand, this is why I want to say, like some of these are good guys that, that they have a wrong view somehow, right? So this guy, Niemöller, eventually gets a meeting with Hitler. And in the meeting, he sees the truth of the situation. It's a, mm. it's a, mm. a wicked moment where Hitler basically looks at him and says, you worry about your sermons and you let me worry about the Third Reich. In other words, you just shut your mouth, do your little right. religious thing on Sunday mornings, and otherwise shut up. I'm in charge of everything else. And that's what you have in China, right? They're like, oh, you want to go to your little official church and do your little thing? Go, oh, you play your little religious games, but don't ever stand against the state. Well, the true church has no choice but to speak against injustice and corruption and so on and so forth. So in the moment that Niemöller saw this, the scales fell from his eyes, mm. and he began speaking out incredibly boldly. But here's the point. By then it was too late. Yes. Niemöller wrote the famous poem based on this experience. You know, first they came uh, for, the, for the communists, and I did not speak up because I was not a communist. Then they came for this group and that group, and I, and I did not speak up. And then when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up. In other words, he, he knew 
that he missed it. And he repented publicly for the rest of his life. But this was a good guy who got it wrong. So there are good guys out there who are getting this wrong. I wrote this book hoping to persuade some of them. Because you know what, Victor? We don't need to persuade all of them. We just need just enough. We just need a few more folks to stand bravely and to say young girls' lives are at stake. We're we're talking about... um, we're talking about indoctrination on this transgender stuff. It's destroying young girls' lives, destroying their lives. The Lord commands us to love those girls and to love their families and to speak up against that. The Lord commands us to speak up against the host of things. And when churches say, well, that's just, I'm going to stay in my lane, I'm here to tell you that's your lane. It is. If, if you're not speaking up. So if, so if you're in a church that refuses to get into this stuff and there's going to be different levels i mean i'm right. not i'm not saying that they right. have to be wildly political i don't really have a problem with that frankly because speaking right. truth is speaking truth if donald trump is putting up people that are you know gonna gonna try to end roe v wade i'm all about saying vote for him folks right. because that's right. the most important thing i have no problem with that but i'm saying some people they're like oh i don't want to do that well do whatever you can but you better do something you better say something because the people in the pews are hungry for truth. They are living tough lives in this in the madness with vaccines and vaccine mandates. They've lost jobs, all kinds of stuff going on. If you're not willing to address these things and address government authoritarian overreach, if you're not willing to dis, uh, to address corruption, if you're not willing to talk about that stuff, people need to find a different church. They yeah. need, just as you said, because there are a lot of pastors and I'm speaking in all these churches it seems where they don't have these kind of ridiculous qualms they're they're bravely talking about these things those churches are blowing up more and more people are going to those churches especially men who normally don't go to church or right. think like no it's not for me they right. go like I'll go to a church like that so I, I, I see good things happening. I was just in an amazing church in Pittsburgh, uh, Grace Life Church. I was in an amazing church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I mean, all around this country, there are churches like this. And so uh, you can find them and, you know, you can you, you can be a part of the solution to this rather than just kind of humbly going along and helping the problem to continue. Well, the, the, the battlefield, it's a moral, it's a moral battlefield in politics is, the, is where we're fighting this. And it is a great time. Uh, I, I tell folks, it's a great time to be alive as a Christian. You know, today, as we're recording this, is the Marine Corps birthday. And, uh, you know, I think about uh, Chesty Puller. Uh, when in Korea, during a battle, uh, a young lieutenant came up to me and said, Sir, we're surrounded. The enemy is on every side. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And he was kind of freaking out. And Chesty Puller looked at me and said, Well, the enemy has simplified our problem. We can shoot in any direction and get them. And I think that's where we are. The forces of darkness is pretty intense. That's but, brilliant. That is right? perfectly correct. Right. We could. It, it, you don't even need to. You, you don't need to talk about that issue. That issue. You could talk about a host of issues. Yeah. You want to talk about the border? You want to talk about the the Democrats are basically saying to Middle America, you can go to hell. You can die of fentanyl over there. We don't care about you. You mean nothing to us. It's an epidemic. If you did mean something to us, we would seal off that border. We would deal with those drug cartels. They don't care. So middle America, working class middle Americans have been abandoned. 
How about talking about that? How about talking about the sex trafficking that's happening as a result of, of the open border? You don't want to talk about the border? You could talk about anything else. You just said it. It's like wherever you look, indoctrination on the transgender stuff, on sexual stuff, indoctrination of critical race theory, totally Marxist, atheist right. nonsense right. that's being brought into schools and into many churches. Yeah. And so the point is like, you know, just... Pick whatever you want to talk about, but be a hero. Time yep. is short, and we're in a battle right now. And I'm, I'm just, uh, it, that's why I get so encouraged just talking to you because there are folks out there who get it. We're fighting. We're doing the best we can. And what could be more wonderful than being in this adventure for the Lord, for the yes. sake of truth and, and, and all of these issues that are affecting real people. So it is an exciting time. Yeah, men need a mission. And folks, I get contacted all the time. Hey, I want to be on a team and go do this and that. I'm like, man, be on a mission right in your hometown. Protect your family. Love your kids and wife. Stand up for what's right with common sense. Work hard and honor God. That's where it starts right there. And mm-hmm. we see people engaging in different levels of leadership because you put a bad leader in any place, you'll pay a price for it. Uh, before we close off, there's three things. The first is, folks, this is a battle of good and evil. Good and evil. Not Republican, Democrat. That's just the way it's panning out. Because I told somebody, if every Republican leader uh, uh, filled every position, we'd still have to deal with sin. Uh, it, it's... it's the we, we also have a lot of useless Republicans. I mean, let's be honest. We have a oh. lot of Republicans that have brought things to where we are today because oh. they're not warriors. They're not uh, MAGA. They're not pro-American. They're just about themselves and about keeping power and, 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 and not really willing to engage the enemy. They just want to kind of, you know, keep going. And I actually, I write about that in the end of the book, Letter to the American Good. Church. Reagan was, was one of these leaders. He was a heroic leader. But all of the establishment people told him, for example, that you can't say, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this right. wall. That's the last chapter of the book. And I thought, why? Because they don't want to engage evil. They don't want to defeat right. the Soviet Union. They don't want to free those people that are in, in, in the Gulag archipelago, in those prisons suffering. They just want things to continue as they are. They got a good thing going. Reagan was a warrior. He cared about the truth. He cared about justice. He cared about people suffering on the other side of the world. He spoke those words, and it was a prophetic statement. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And I really believe that the very same kind of people that told him, you can't say that, you can't say that, whether it was Colin Powell or Howard Baker or James Baker, there were all these people around him, establishment D.C. people. We have them in Washington, D.C. right now. One of them's named Mitch McConnell. Another yep. is uh, 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 Kevin McCarthy. There's yep. a host of them that they just want to go along to get along. And I'm here to tell you, basically, uh, we need to understand what you just said. It's not a Republican or a Democrat thing. It's about good versus evil. And it's about people who have a heart, who care for strangers. And it's about people who don't care. And I think that if you're in the church, you're supposed to care. Pastor, stop justifying this false piety and passivity. Because remember, Jesus is the one who fashioned a whip, which means he took time to make it. And he was targeting the folks he knew, the wicked ones that needed it. And then he was tossing tables. I think a lot of pastors these days are setting up their church where all Jesus would do would come in and 
toss a table. Yeah, they're setting up the tables. It's it's corruption. Think about it. It is. He's going after corruption. And, you know, people say, well, that's not a gospel issue. Anything that is wrong or right, true or false, these are all gospel issues. And the church is called by God to speak against these things. And you're quite right to point that out. Jesus was a warrior. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, you know, better than a better, uh, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, stumble, better than a millstone should be hanged around your neck and you'd be thrown into the heart of the sea. This is like, you know, you could see pastors today saying, oh, I wish he hadn't said such divisive stuff. Just stick to the gospel, Jesus. Well, obviously he was God and we need to follow his lead in terms of what it is to be a man and a Christian leader. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, Victor, just talking to you and talking to you know, a handful of others that I meet around the country. There are a lot of folks who get this. We need to help others to get it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, by God's grace, good things will happen. Well, hey, last two questions I ask all my guests. And uh, the first one is perception. Now, we're friends, you, you, you know me, but I always ask, I ask every guest, what is your perception of me and the ministry that we do? What is my perception? Yep. Wow. I, you know, it's kind of a hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to answer that. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just a big uh, um, advocate for you, where, you know, where, whenever your name comes up, uh, I just see you as someone who talks, you know, Bonhoeffer often talked about this, and I need to talk about this more. He always talked about faith in action. Mm. Faith in action. This idea of just having faith is, it's a misunderstanding. When, when people talk about faith, faith without works is dead. And and the fact that you live out your faith in a muscular way, you know, in a way that you, you, you deal with, you go up against evil, you risk things. You're not afraid of death. Why? Because you believe Jesus defeated death on the cross. And so you're supposed to be all in. So you know, you're you're just one of those people that I uh, I think about when I'm thinking about these things. Somebody who actually believes this, and it's obvious you believe this because of the way you live, which is really what everyone should should say about anybody who's a Christian. You look at their life, and you say, "Well, I know what that person believes because look how they live, look what they do." So uh, th- th- that's uh, that's whatever kind of an answer I can give. No, you. thank you. I, and you brought up death, and that's my last question. Everybody dies. We're all going to punch that card. And what happens to Eric Metaxas when you close your eyes for the last time? The uh, greatest thing in the history of the universe, like the greatest, most amazing, wonderful thing that could ever happen to me will happen to me in that moment. I will go into the presence of God in what we call heaven, paradise. It's, it's like th- when Christians don't look forward to death in this world, they're fools. They're getting it wrong. You're supposed to know enough from the scripture to know that we're here for a season and that he defeated death. So when you die, you don't die. You go into what's called real life. It will make this look like the Shadowlands, to quote C.S. Lewis. So it's something, first of all, there's a great mystery because we, you know, we're not going to pretend like, oh, it's going to be, I'm going to go into a candy store. Uh, we, we can't even imagine Right. We talk about what's good and beautiful and true. We can't even imagine. We get a glimpse of it in this world. When we see him face to face, you know, basically, apart from him, we wouldn't even be able to handle it. We would just be, you know, turned into ashes because it's too, it's just so intense, the goodness of God. But he will make it possible for us. He's made it possible for us 
through the blood of Jesus, that we will be able to withstand infinite goodness, infinite truth, infinite beauty. So, you know, yeah, we're supposed to be looking forward to that. And uh, uh, to the extent that I, uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, now, I want to be looking forward to it more and more and more because that's, that's just wisdom. What can I say? It's just wisdom and truth. I love it. As, as you and I uh, uh, get closer... Uh, I heard wrinkles are God's way of telling us I'll see you soon. You you and I are moving in that next season of our life. I I really believe that there are folks listening that just heard you, the truck driver, uh, the mom at home, the professor, and they just got excited at your passion because you can tell you really believe this. You know, it's true. It, it's yeah. true. We need to, but we need to be reminded because we live in a world that tells us the opposite of this every second. Right. We live in a really sick, messed up world that's telling us exactly the opposite wherever we look. Uh, not just on that issue. So we need to remind ourselves of the truth over and over and over because uh, otherwise we're believing the lies and we're full yeah. of fear, and that's not God's will. I think about my bride who does so much with me overseas and we've been and we've had ISIS try to hunt us. We've had to hide. She is, her faith is unreal, but I, I'll never forget the first time we went into uh, Iraq to, to, to help women who had been held captive by ISIS. Me and her argued. We were, we were fussing about it. I was like, I, you shouldn't go. This is dangerous. And she finally, I said, why do you want to go? And she said, well, because when you find there were 30, it was a specific mission of finding 30 of these young women and helping them. She goes, when you find them, and I know you and the team will, Eric, she goes, you can't hug them, but I can. And I said, you're willing to risk your life. She says, yeah, it's for the gospel. Yeah. And then she says, what's the worst that can happen? We die? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, well, then don't we win? And this is, I mean, this is, this woman's faith. We were in Syria. Bad things were happening. I prayed, Lord, please send a legion of angels. I mean, ISIS was everywhere. It was all bad. You know what my wife said? She goes, Lord, can you just send the one angel that killed, that wiped out the 185,000 Assyrians? I, we just need him. And I, I changed my prayer. I was like, that's, a, I like that idea. Send the veteran. Send the special operations guy. And, and uh, you know what, that faith that you have, the passion about heaven, the people listening, how do they get what you have? What, is there a magical prayer? I'm telling is you, there, you just what? hang around people who have that kind of faith. That's the thing. You've got to choose who you're going to hang out with. And if you hang out with people who have that kind of faith, it's, it, it's contagious. It is. You know, I didn't get it myself. It's, it's like you hang out with people that, that understand this is true. This is right. not me whipping myself up into some kind of right. fake hope. This is called truth. It's kind of like saying, how do I get to believe one plus one equals two? How, how do I? It's actually true. And uh, if you hang out with people that know it's true, eventually you'll know it's true too. It's really not, there's no magic to it. But I think you want to be around people who encourage you in the truth, who encourage you in the faith, who encourage you uh, in, in being courageous. You know, uh, uh, the more I hang out with those kind of people, uh, the more I get that way. And the more each of us gets that way, the more people around us get that way. So it really is vital uh, to hang out with the right people, to try to, uh, 
you know, get as much of that as you can because it really is contagious. The Lord designed it that way, right? Yeah. He designed it that we get this from other people more than anything. Jesus yeah. didn't come down and hand out some mimeograph sheets and say, okay, I'll see you later. He lived among us. He lived among the disciples for for three years because you get this from being with people uh, and you pick it up that way. And so that's kind of the, to me, that's, that's one of the biggest things. I mean, it's one of the reasons I write biographies is because in reading the story of somebody who's a hero, you, you, it's kind of like being with them and you kind of pick it up and you kind of go like, yeah, yeah, I want to be like that. That, that makes you, sense. That makes yeah. Sense. And you, so, you certainly are one of the most prolific great writers of our time and minds. Um, so the person that says, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't even have a foundation for it. How do they come to faith? Well, there's a number of ways. Uh, I think we all know religious fanatics that are annoying, that drive people away from Jesus, even though they might be well-meaning. So, you know, I think you want to find a church where the people seem emotionally healthy, uh, where they seem like they have joy and truth and whatever. But I, you know, it all depends on where you are. Uh, A lot of people, I could just say, just start reading uh, the New Testament, you know, uh, but there's a, there's a million ways. And if you want God, you want truth, ask him and he will show you, he will show you a way miraculously. Uh, and you know, listening to podcasts like this, I say to people listening to my radio show or my podcast or reading my books, but it kind of depends on where someone is. But if you want Jesus, Jesus wants you more than you want him. So if you want the truth, you just say, God, if you're real, speak to me, lead me to people who can help me. And here's the crazy thing. He will do that. And that's a fact. He will. Brother, thank you so much for taking time today to to hang out, to fellowship, to talk about things that matter. Uh, I'm always encouraged when I'm around you. And uh, what's the easiest way people can... Uh, if you can spell yeah. my name, Eric Metaxas. It's uh, It's Greek... Metaxas, M-E-T-A-X-A-S, Eric Metaxas. Even if you misspell it, you'll probably find me on the internet, but my website is probably the place to find everything. I have a daily radio show, two hours a day. There's an app, the Eric Metaxas Show, you can get, you can listen to my program. It's pretty all over the place, pretty eclectic, sometimes politics, sometimes faith, sometimes, you know, everything else. But uh, if you can just spell my name, uh, I'm easy to reach, Eric Metaxas. Victor, I just... Yeah. I'm very blessed for this time. Thank you. Yeah, true enough. Folks, also get the new book. Uh, th- this is your marching orders. This is your actionable item. Get the book, Letters to the Church. It's my shortest book ever, so don't be intimidated. Yeah, Bonhoeffer is a beefy one. That's the uh, longest book ever. This is the shortest book, yeah. Uh, and and they're both equally powerful. First book I ever read as a Christian, somebody handed it to me, was Cause of Discipleship. And I was I was ruined. I was a young Marine. There you it was go. the first Christian book I read. So I thought that was just normal, and uh, which it should be. So that's the point, right? Yeah, that's normal Christianity. Well, again, thank you, brother. We will talk to you soon. Hey, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God, and uh, go full throttle. Or go get it done. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. 
We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.